Okay, so let's turn to uh, Luke 15. Um, we're going to be looking at a passage tonight that for most of us is very familiar. Uh, the danger, uh, as we look at the Word of God, uh, is as we get to passages that are familiar, it's very easy to breeze over them because we've already studied them, we heard them preached so many times. Uh, and in this situation, it's my prayer, I mean, I, I don't know how long you've been uh, in church or how long you've been saved, but probably even a short amount of time, you've heard about the story or the parable of the prodigal son. That's going to be uh, a portion of what we talk about tonight, uh, but we're going to look at Luke 14 uh, as well. Um, one of the things, when I first got saved and began to preach, um, the circles that I was in, you know, basically the way that preaching went is the Lord would lay something on your heart, you'd study it, you'd preach it. There's nothing wrong with that, that's very good. But one of the things I found out as I progressed in ministry and got older and as the more that I studied the Word of God, I began to realize that a lot of things I had preached as a younger man, I had preached out of context, okay? Now, it might preach good. It might make sense. But uh, the, the best understanding of Scripture and the most powerful application to our life is going to be understanding the context and what God intended that teaching for. Okay? Because uh, it's very important. I think tonight as we study this passage, you're going to realize there's some things about this story that you've never seen. And as we go through chapter 14 and 15, it's like, wow, how did I miss that? Uh, and so, uh, let's go ahead. I want, to, I want to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to get started. And uh, we're actually going to, if you want to flip back to chapter 14, I want to read some things in there first, and then we'll get over to chapter 15. We'll actually read probably the, the, the full portions of that as we go through. Lord, I thank you so much for your presence in our life. I thank you that we're never alone. I thank you for the presence of your Spirit in our life. That no matter what comes upon us, no matter which path, God, we are being led to go down, that we know you will not leave us, you will not forsake us, you will be there, you will strengthen, you will guide. My prayer tonight is this word that goes out, uh, Lord, it will not return void. It will accomplish what you sent it to do in my heart and in each heart that is here, God. May this word be alive to us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, I started out this, uh, working on this sermon about two months ago. So, the, the, the uh, funeral that I preached was a year and a half ago. So, once I stepped down from pastoring, uh, the Lord was kind of taking us through a journey that we had never been on. We got saved in 1990. Within about six months, they had us in a Sunday school class. About six months later, we were running a bus ministry. About a year after that, I was traveling and preaching. And so we, we were always busy, always active in the work of the Lord. And then we come to our step down from this church. Uh, no opportunities to preach were happening. We bounced around a couple of churches trying to find somewhere we fit in. And nothing really seemed to fit. And so you're talking about a fish out of water. That's kind of where we both have been. It's just like, Lord, what's going on? You know, we're trying to understand His will and, you know, praying hard about direction and path. And I've always kind of been of the mindset, you know, that I don't, I don't ask people to, uh, to preach. I don't call pastors. Hey, can I fill in for you? Uh, just wait on the Lord to open that. And so I was very thrilled uh, when Pastor Kenny asked me to preach because he, he really doesn't know me. I mean, he's, we've talked a couple times, uh, but it was, it was a tremendous opportunity for that. So once he kind of made it known to me, he was going to use me on a Wednesday night. I, I, I worked this, I had been working on it, and so I started filling it in. 
And the more that I began to fill it in, the more I began to realize, man, this thing is much broader than Luke 15. So when you go back to chapter 14, beginning in the very uh, first part of that chapter, uh, it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. Now that word watched mean that they were, they were looking at Jesus Christ and they were looking for him to slip up. Okay, that's, that's the gaze of the Pharisees. We know that's how they were. And so Jesus Christ is going to the house of the chief priest to eat and all these Pharisees are coming along with him. And it says, Behold, you know, as he was going to do that, a certain man before him had the dropsy, which was a, a swelling normally of the legs, the arms. It was very painful. Uh, the person would have been uh, in pain, very discomforted. And so Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees and asked them, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, it would seem that these Pharisees would figure out Every time we start thinking something about this guy, every time we get the eyes on him, he turns the focus back on us. And that's what Jesus does. You know, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, they didn't answer him. And so uh, they held their peace. And he says, which one of you shall have an ass or an ox fall into a pit and you will not straight forth put him out on the Sabbath day? And they would not answer him. And so you see all through the Gospels where Jesus does that. He puts these people where, where they can't even answer the questions because they realize, like with John the Baptist, well, if we answer him, the people are going to be mad at, at us. But if we do this, then it's going to be going against God. And so it's just, you, you would think that they would figure that thing out, but, but they didn't. And, uh, and so anyway, he goes on and he begins to talk to them. Now, remember the Pharisees, we've heard a lot about them. As you study the Word of God, it's very clear to see where they were. They were the elite of Israel. They thought themselves to be the very representation of God. And one of the real issues they had with Jesus Christ was when Jesus Christ showed up, they surely should have been recognized by him. And this, the anger that is shown towards Christ is because when he comes in the scene, the people that he's preaching the hardest against, calling hypocrites, vipers, things like that, is them. Surely this man could not be from God because if he was from God, he would recognize us. And so this is their mindset. And so they're going into the chief priest's house. You see, they're watching Jesus closely. And then in verse 6, they couldn't answer him. And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief room. So get this mental picture. The chief priests and all these Pharisees are coming in to eat with Jesus. And Jesus is watching them. He's watching where they sit. He's watching, and if you look at that word, mark them, and where the, the seat, there were rooms where you reclined. They don't eat like we eat, you know, against the table. So there's rooms that they would recline in. And, and he noticed how that certain people were taking the chief places. And he goes right and he begins to tell them that when you go to somebody's house to eat, choose the lower places. You know, so that when you choose that lower place, then you'll be invited up. They couldn't process this. No, that's not how it works. See, when you get to the house, you make sure you take the chief seat, because that's the most important thing. Okay? Kind of like us sometimes on Sunday. When we get there, we make sure we get our seat. You know? But that was the mindset of the Pharisees. You know, they, they wanted to make sure that they got this. And Jesus says in verse 11, Whoever exalts himself shall be abased. He that humbles himself shall be exalted. Then he said also to them that bade him, the people invited him, and this would, this would really throw them off. And so stay with me as I kind of go through verse 14, because when we get to chapter 15, 
that's where you're really going to begin to see the story of the prodigal just begin to say, wow, I, I believe it's definitely something that we, we typically miss. And so he says, when you have a dinner, call not your friends, your brethren, nor the kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again and recompense be made to thee. So the idea there is that he says, if you invite people that come to your house and then they're going to invite you to their house because they can provide a great meal for you too, he says, don't do it that way. Go out and get to people, the lame, the blind, the, the poor, and he says, bring them in because they're not going to be able to do anything back to you, okay? And you see that when Jesus is coming to the chief priest's house, it's this entourage of priests. They would walk by the poor, the lame, the maimed, and they wouldn't even look at them and to consider them coming to their house and eat. He, he wasn't even considering that. And so this, this mindset, Christ is trying to continually put in their face how ungodlike they are. And they, they just simply missed it. So he goes on down in verse 16, talks about a great supper and how people are bid. They make excuses uh, why they can't come and do this or that. And up in verse 21, he says, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city. And there again, bring in the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. And uh, the servant says it's done, but there's still room. He's going to the highways and the hedges and to com compel them to come in that my house may be full. Now this is, there again, there's a lot in here. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I want to get to chapter 15. But the, the mindset of the Pharisee would never be to bring these outcasts and these lowly people in. Okay? That's just not how it works. Okay? We're not going to defile ourselves uh, being around those people. And then he goes into the last one and he, he begins to get it personal about what it means to be his disciple. Now you have to understand as we look through the scriptures about the Pharisees, they believed they were God's disciples. They believed that they were the true followers of God. And so Christ immediately, after he's already given these two references to them, it's, it's interesting uh, to, if you go back, you'll see this a lot through the Gospels, that when, when Jesus realizes that the Pharisees' thinking is really skewed, He'll, he'll throw a question to them, put the ball in their court to get them to think, okay, if you had this, if this was going in your life, what would you do? And immediately he begins to teach them from that because most of the time they don't answer him. And so he begins to tell them, this is what you should do, okay? Uh, is, it, is it right to heal on the Sabbath? They didn't answer him, okay? So if you have a feast, do this. He begins to teach them the right spirit towards those people that have the dropsy that need to be healed, that are blind, okay? And so in here in, in verse 26, that's where he begins to talk about uh, denying your father. And, and when you think about the prestige that these Pharisees had, the influence, the power that they had, it, it's kind of like asking somebody up in D.C., maybe a senator, maybe the president, with all the, the money, with all of the... the the power that they have to say, hey, listen, you just take all of that and throw it away if you want to come be my disciple, okay? You can imagine the response that we'd get today if we went up there and told the disciples, hey, listen, or the uh, congressman and, and president, if you want to go to heaven, this is what you have to do. You have to get all this up and take up your cross and come follow me. And yet, this is what Jesus Christ did to these elite of Israel. He says, listen, you, gotta, you can't have father, mother, Children, any of that thing before me, or you're not worthy of me. And so you go on down through that, and uh, in verse number 33, 
he says, uh, So likewise, whoever see he be of you that forsakes not all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, we know that the Word of God, when it is preached and taught, has the effect that God wants it to. Now, those that are, are filled with pride, those that are filled with sin, it's going to come in and it's going to convict. That's what it's sent to do, to convict. Now, conviction, as you see in somebody like we'll see later on in the prodigal's life, when he comes to his senses, it broke him. But in other situations, if a person's not ready to repent and get his heart right with God, it makes him angry. They become rebellious and, and, and resistant. And you see that's the response typically from the Pharisees. But Jesus goes after he says this about what it, what it costs or what it's going to be to follow him. And he, he, he says this that seems to be so far out of context. Salt is good, but does salt have lost his savor wherewith it shall be seasoned? Now remember... He's talking to the Pharisees. You've got to go all the way back to the beginning of the chapter. He's, the, the, the people he is addressing is the Pharisees. And as you look at the Scriptures, they had lost their salt. Their ability to influence people for God was completely gone. Okay? When people looked at them, people that were broken, people that were lame, people that needed God, trust me, they weren't going to them. And as you see Jesus going through there, you know, the, the, the blind men that day begging on the side of the road, you know, and Jesus Christ, the one that can come and touch their eyes and give them sight. Hey, y'all be quiet. Be quiet. You're going to bother him. And, of course, Jesus turns that way and, uh, and gives, you know, what can I do for you? Oh, Lord, that I can't see. And he immediately received his sight. And so this is what the, the Pharisees were to be God's light to these people. And from these things that you see in this passage... They were, they were completely missing it. They were completely missing it. And, uh, you know, I know as I was studying this out in my own life, you know, I, I find in my own heart and life a lot more similarities to Pharisees than I do to Christ. You know, we get busy, we get this, we get that, and we get on about our life. You know, we think about all the wickedness in this area, that area, and we're, we just seem, it just seems so natural to avoid that, to avoid the brokenness, you know, uh, what uh, your prayer request tonight. My, my brother, he's 50, I'm 57, he's 54, 55, 50, somewhere right in there. Uh, I came to Christ in 1990. My brother uh, was in really bad into drugs, and I began to witness to him. And I began to, to plead with him to come to Christ. And uh, he made a profession of faith and then went on a, a, a series of about 26 years uh, of addictions. I mean, he would go through times to where for weeks and months. We wouldn't even know where he was. Uh, he would be found out underneath a bridge, you know, with nothing. And uh, just kept praying for him and, and, and pleading with him, you know, for that, to, to, to get his heart right with God. It, would just, it just it broke my heart to see him uh, in such a mess. And when he finally got into some treatment, there's a, there's a mission down in Richmond called the Good Samaritan Inn. And uh, I got the opportunity to begin to go down there and preach. And in this mission, when I was going there, this was probably late 90s, early 2000s, uh, uh, the, the mission, 25, 30 men in, in, a, in a room about this size, and all walks of life. You had young guys, 18, 19, 20 years old, didn't have anything, drugs, they needed a place to stay. Uh, you had men, 40s, 50s, 60, lost everything. Drugs, drinking, their wives left them, kids wouldn't talk to them, they had nothing. And you, you see all of these broken men, and many of those men had come to Jesus Christ. 
And you'd preach the gospel to them and you'd see God healing the brokenness and them finding hope in their life. You know, this wasn't the Pharisees. Pharisees weren't going to do that. They, they, they felt like it, the best thing for Israel was to wipe all of these lepers and all of the maimed and all of these people, get them out of there, you know, get them out into out of sight of the gates and leave them there. So Israel would be much better. And so this is a mindset. So they had lost that ability to influence. And it's interesting as you go in the very last part of verse number 35, it says, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. So have the Pharisees been hearing? But you look in verse 1 of chapter 15, Then drew near unto him all the publican sinners for to hear him. They wanted to listen to what he was saying. They wanted to hear what this miracle worker, this one that was changing lives, that was renewing lives, they wanted to hear about this man. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And as we look through the Gospels, these were the ones that were coming to Christ. These are the ones that lives were being transformed. So in all of this, to kind of give the... As we go back, Kenny has been in Exodus... And kind of not in the defense of the Pharisees, because God showed them so much mercy, but they just hinged on one part of God, the judgment of God. That's all they could see. They could just see this God that was calling them, Moses, to the mountain to commune with him and to tell the people if a beast or a person breaks through and touches this mountain, they'll die. And whenever they, they sinned, they would see God send a plague and, and punish them. And they, they missed the part of after these judgments, there was mercy. After God required the sacrifice, and they were, they were sitting there as to see if this lamb, if this sacrifice would be received by God, they didn't even think about that after God received the sacrifice and they were able to live another year without that day of atonement, that God had been merciful that whole year. And so the Old Testament is flooded with mercy, flooded with mercy, but they, they missed that part of God. So now let's begin to work down through chapter 15. So he, the sinners come to hear him. And here we go with the Pharisees and scribes again, murmuring, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying... Now, the King James Version has and. Now, if you have a, another translation, it may say so. You know, there's a lot of different words. But in all of those words that are used there, you will see it means that this is a continuing thought from what the Pharisees said. And so the Pharisees said, this man eats with sinners, so Jesus spoke to them this parable. And he spoke to them. That's the whole thrust of chapter 15. As we go through this chapter, you're going to see the whole focus is Christ responding to the Pharisees saying, he received his sinners. And so in verse number 3, he spoke this parable. And so the first two you're going to see, that I'm going to read those first, and then we're going to move down into verse 11. But it says... What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice for me, with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now, as you look at these first two parables that we look at, these are clearly focused to the Pharisees. Because he says, what man of you? Which one of you? And so he's, he's getting them to think, what will we do? 
Well, they already know. These guys were, were just consumed with money and their stuff and having things. And so if they lost one of their sheep, guess what they're going to do? They're going to run down there and they're going to search diligently and they're going to find that sheep and they're going to bring it back and they're going to be excited because they just saved some money. They didn't lose money. They saved it. And then you go on down into uh, verse number 8. Either what woman? And so, likewise, some of the translations say, but the idea is that, okay, what man of you? What woman of you? It's the same, it's the same idea. So what woman of you... Uh, uh, if she lose one piece of silver, or ten pieces if she lose one, does not light a candle, sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece uh, that I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner that repenteth. Now, the response of Christ to their, their saying that he receive a sinner, he's saying, which one of you would lose a sheep and not search diligently and when you came home rejoice over it? Of course, they didn't answer him because they know exactly what they do. And the same thing with the woman. What woman of you? You lost a coin, you know, would she not search diligently for it? And when she's found it, call her friends. And it's just these stories that Jesus uses, we all would do the same thing. You know? What would happen if you lost your wallet or your cell phone or your, or your, you know, your wedding ring? You would look all over the place. You'd pray, God, where is it? You know, we'd do everything we could to find it. And once we found it, call all the family together. Guess what? I found it. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's a normal response. And so in verse number 15 begins the, the parable of the prodigal son. Now, there are, there are three characters. Don't, don't miss the beginning of this chapter because I think most of us, probably the way that we've heard this passage taught, is the, the sole focus and the central focus of the parable is the prodigal son. I mean, that's what we hear about. You hear it preached about. Very little is mentioned about the elder son. And I think that you'll see by the end of this time together here, now you're going to see that he is a major player uh, in this parable. And so uh, the three characters, the self-righteous, which is the Pharisees, you'll see the sinners, which represent the prodigal son, you know, the, the publican sinners that they talked about, and then we're going to see the Savior. Now, I don't know uh, who it was that put the, over the title of these parables, the lost coin, the lost uh, sheep, and, and the, the lost or the prodigal son could be the lost son. But I really think they missed it on the prodigal son. Because the reality was you, as you go through chapter 15 and you see what Jesus is confronting the Pharisees about, and he's trying to awaken their heart to how wrong they are, how, how wrong their thinking is, how wrong their way is. That's a clear picture of the, of the elder son in this parable. And we just breeze by that like he's not even there. And in, in, in the culture of that time, you'll see as we get to the, the, the latter part of the parable, uh, these Pharisees don't look at the story of the prodigal son like you and I do. You and I, if we had a wayward son, a wayward daughter, we would be weeping, we'd be praying, we'd be begging God to bring them back. And when they came back, man, we would run out there just like we read those first two. 
we'd run out there and we'd grab a hold of them and we would bring them back home and we would tell all of our neighbors, my, my son, my daughter that was lost is found. We would do that. We would do that. But not these Pharisees. And you'll, you'll see that, I believe, uh, in a little bit. So there again, Christ is teaching about the rightness of his actions. This guy received sinners. It was a condemnation. And Christ uses this parable to help them understand what I'm doing is right and what you're doing is wrong. And so it's very important for you and I to know we are, we are naturally drawn to pride. It's not easy to be proud. It's just a part of the flesh in which we live. It's much harder to humble ourselves and, and, and be broken and let God, you know, truly be ruler over our life. Humility doesn't come natural, but pride does. And so these Pharisees were, were filled with pride, yet these people that were filled with pride, those were the ones that were saying they knew God. They were the ones that saying, listen, if you want to see God, look at us. And yet Paul, interestingly, if you look in Titus chapter 1, if you want to write some of these things down, I know I'm going through a, uh, fairly quick because I want to get to the, the latter part, but you ought to read First uh, Titus chapter 1, and you'll see in that, in about verse 10, 12, somewhere down in there, Paul makes it clear that he's speaking to the circumcision. These chief priests, these scribes, these people that we're talking about tonight. And this is what he says of them. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and to every good work reprobate. And there again, if you read Titus chapter 1, you might run right through chapter 1 and think, oh, he's just talking about the wicked. No, he's talking about the circumcision. This, this same group of priests and high priests that we're talking about tonight. And so there again, Christ is showing the rightness of how God responds to things that are lost uh, in the lost sheep, in the uh, lost coin, and then in the, the story of, the, of the, the lost sons. And so... I want to I title this parable, Two Sinful Sons. And I think you're going to see there again as we go through it why it's that way. Now, commentaries are great. Pastor Kenny uh, many times uh, gives you information about commentaries to read. And the ones that he has, has recommended while I've, while I've been here have been commentaries that I have. But one of the things you'll realize if you do much studying with commentaries is a lot of good men disagree. <laughs> A lot of men look at, at a certain passage and say, well, it means this, and another man will say it, and it means this. But it's really hard when you go back, like you see what we're talking about, like chapters, and through the whole Gospels, and you see the context of the way a group of people works, and you see how Jesus Christ clearly is doing these things to the Pharisees. It really kind of sets your, your mind in a pattern to understand what does this text really mean. And, uh, and so... As you go through a lot of commentaries, you'll see this. That all they talk about is the prodigal. And I really, personally, I feel like when we get to the end of this thing, you're going to say tonight, how could people miss that? I mean, I mean it's, it's so clear. How could they miss this? So the first, the first son, the rebellious son, the one that we're even more familiar with, is a picture of the tax collectors and the sinners. And there again, go, go back to the very beginning of chapter 5, just keep or 15, keep reminding yourself, there's three players here. There's Jesus, there's tax collectors and publicans, and there's Pharisees. And the first two parables, you say, well, they weren't all three there because that wasn't what Jesus was doing in those first two. He was putting the ball in their court and saying, how would you act? 
How, how would you act towards these lost things? But in the one starting in verse 11, going down through the end of the chapter, Jesus Christ is saying, this is how I respond to lost things. So you have this, this rebellious son. There again, I'm going to take you through this, looking, looking at this parable from the eyes of a Pharisee. Because that's who Jesus is addressing. He, these are the ones that Jesus wants the, the light bulb to go off in their head and say, wow, you know, this is, this is what we are. This is what we act like. And so this, this prodigal asked the father to give him what is his. Now, we know from the Bible, you can go all the way back to the beginning, that the inheritance for the children came when the father was passing. Okay? When he got to his deathbed, he would divide uh, upon his children. Normally the elder son got the greater blessing, and then the other sons, they got a lesser blessing. But they all received a blessing at his deathbed. So you have the, the, the lesser son who didn't deserve what the elder son did, telling the father, basically, I wish you were dead so I could get my money. And it's interesting that the father go ahead and, and gives his request. He gives him the money, gives him the inheritance, and he divides it to the elder brother too. Okay, and this is important as we get to the end of the parable. Okay, and so he gets his inheritance, and it says not very long after that, he leaves. Now remember that the father didn't owe them anything. He could have cast him out of the house. But Jesus is wanting the Pharisees to understand, listen, I've given these publicans, I've given these sinners a blessing, I've given them grace, but guess what? I've also given you a greater, a greater portion of blessing. How is that? Well, fast forward into Romans, and Paul says, what's so special about the Jews? Well, hey, unto them was given the oracles of God. These people had the word of God from the beginning. You know, these publicans and, and sinners, they weren't allowed to go into the temple and hear the word of God given week after week and prayers made to God and, and see these things. And so the elder son was much more blessed than the, the rebel. So as this, these Pharisees are listening to Jesus give this parable and they get to this prodigal, they understand that this request that this prodigal has given is a wicked and a disgraceful request. They would not even think about that because sons in Israel did not do that to their father. It was a disgrace and it was a shame. And that's how they would view it. And so the rebel rejects his father, he journeys away, he wastes his substance, we know that, we, we know the story, he comes to the place where he's in want, he, he's slopping the hogs, and, and he can't find food, and he finally comes to his senses. Now I praise God that everybody doesn't have to get that low. You know, I was at a real low time in my life when, when my wife and I got saved. You know, I saw my children leaving, my wife leaving. I, I was a mess. I, I was a mess. And all I had was a bottle. That's, that was my go-to thing. You know, whenever I just couldn't deal with stuff, I just, you know, just popped the bottle open. And, and that, would, that would just make it worse. And so I've been, I've been down in that low spot in, in my life. And he came to his senses, you know, and there's a lot of people, good Christian people that were, that were down on their luck, you know, that, it, that you know, was in such a mess. They, they lost everything. It seemed like there was no hope. But out of that horrible pit, Jesus Christ is able to reach down, grab people, and lift them up and set them on a solid rock. And he's done it at testimony after testimony. But he also saves people that have been raised in church, been in Sunday school their whole life, and come to the realization that they need Jesus Christ. Like Nicodemus, a good man, followed the law, tried to be a good person. God, say, God saves them all. And so 
in this, though, remember that the prodigal is not the main focus of this parable, but the response of the father to that which is lost, that's the main focus of this whole parable. That was the focus of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and now the lost sons, is what is the response of the father to sinners? That's what he's, he's answering this question. So then we see the, the second lost son, the self-righteous son. And of course, this is a picture of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, he's not outwardly rebellious, but when he, the prodigal comes home, and the, the elder son hears of it, he comes to one of the servants and says, what's going on here? Hey, your brother's come home. And the father's killed the fatted calf and there's going to be a feast. And what does he do? He gets angry. He gets angry. Can you imagine that? We're sitting here in church Sunday morning and somebody gets under conviction and they go forward and they talk to Pastor Kenny and they say, listen, God's been dealing with me. I want to be saved. And we get angry about it. Man, we're supposed to be at the buffet. What, what in the world is this guy doing? Can't he do that some other time? You know? That's kind of the mindset of this elder son. I mean, and understand, when Jesus is speaking this to the Pharisees, they, you, there is no way they're going to identify themselves with the, with the prodigal son. They know there's only one other guy in this. They're not the father. They're this other elder son. And I'm going to tell you, I'm sure that the, the embers began to kind of heat up in their, in their insides when they began to realize, he's talking about us. And so he gets angry. But remember... The father had divided unto them both. What's he angry about? Look at the portion you were given. This is your brother. Shouldn't you be excited that he's saved? You know, these people all around Israel were, were, were being healed from diseases. Demons were being cast out of them. And the Pharisees weren't excited. They were angry. Man, we've got to shut this guy down. Everybody's going to go after him. Praise God. Praise God. What a wonderful thing if, if all Israel was saved and, and all the world was saved, but they didn't see it that way. Now, the previous two parables that Jesus directed at them both had a conclusion. The lost coin was found. The lost sheep was found. And in this parable, the prodigal comes home. But there's nothing said about this elder. What happened to the elder brother? This parable closes... And you see the elder brother on the outside of the banquet angry, and there is no indication from this that he goes in. And you see as you fast forward to the cross, the multitude of people are there that are, are railing on Jesus and, and very excited that he's being crucified is the scribes and Pharisees. And so Jesus is trying to help them understand. He, he wants them to be to be saved, to come to Him. Remember when He says in Luke 13, if you just go back one more chapter from where we started, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, how often would I have drawn you to me like a, a mother hen does her chicks, but you would not. They wouldn't come to Him. They wouldn't come to Him. So what is the cost of compassion for sinners? Now, you go back into chapter 14 where we were talking, that's why I went back there as the Lord was kind of directing as I studied this. He talks about forsaking all that you have, you know, denying yourself, bearing a cross. And so there, there, is, there is something that it cost people to save that which is lost. With the woman and the man, it cost them energy. They diligently search, they look. There, there's there's, a, there's a, a cost to save. The, the cost of compassion for sinners. Now, God is continually pouring His light into the world. 
But the Bible says that He lights every man that comes into the world. He wants all men to be saved. And so he's, he's pouring light out into the world that men might realize their sin, realize their darkness, and, and come to him. Of course, we see that uh, in the prodigal. Man's response there, again, as I mentioned earlier, to that, to that illumination is either going to break him or it's going to make him even more bold in his rebellion. And, of course, we see in the two groups that are, are represented there, the tax collectors, the publicans, the sinners, and the Pharisees, both of those. One group was even more bitter and hostile. The more that Jesus saved people and saved that which is lost, the more they said, crucify him, we've got, to, we've got to kill this man. Can you imagine that? To profess to be of God and to be so against Christ? It's, it's just really, it's really, it's really... Uh, just a stark awakening, and they still didn't get it. All, all they could do was, was be angry. Uh, so this royal reception, as we, as we, I think, have kind of worked our way to where we are now, a lot of things have fallen into place because we know the Pharisees, we know their mindset, we know how things are going. And as you, as you look at their responses to other scriptures, I'm sure that most of you read your Bible on a regular basis, and it's not hard to determine when a situation starts how the Pharisees are going to react. You know. You know how they're going to respond. So in, in Bible times, the, the people of Israel, the keepers of the law, they had a responsibility to uphold the honor of Israel, to, to keep uh, shame and reproach from coming on Israel, the, the judgment of God from coming on Israel. And so they had this responsibility. And the responsibility of the community in this parable, you and I don't see that, but the Pharisees would. And so when you have this rebel that has done what he's done to the Father, the community, and especially the Pharisees, would be on his court defending his shame or defending his honor and making sure that this rebel paid for the shame and reproach he brought upon Israel and the Father. That's, that's what the, the Pharisees would be thinking. As you see through different stories in the Bible, you see where when stonings took place, the communities rose up. When somebody had done something worthy of stoning, they grabbed stones and they began to stone these people because they were serious. We had to uphold this law. And you see that with the Pharisees. Uh, of course, back in the Old Testament, Achan. Achan, of course, they tore down Jericho, and God had told him, don't take the, the, the things that are dedicated to me. And Achan took the accursed thing, and the people rise up, and they take him, his wife, his kids, his possession, and stone him with stones. Why? So that evil would depart from Israel, because they had just suffered a huge defeat uh, at Ai. And so you see, you see this starting. You see this woman caught in adultery. No mercy there. They bring her to Jesus, and they pick up stones. They're going to stone this woman. Now, we don't know what Jesus wrote on the ground, but whatever it was, it was interpreted by every one of them that was there. There's something so personal that there's no way they were picking up a stone, and then they went away. But their intention was right there in front of Jesus Christ to stone this woman. And Jesus Christ showed her mercy. And then, of course... Uh, you, you, uh, you see the uh, Stephen, the stoning of Stephen. The Stephen says, blaspheme the Lord, and they come up there, and they all pick up stones, and they begin to stone him. 
like a, a wild crowd. This last year up there in Portland, I mean, we couldn't imagine what went on up there. It's crazy. People that worked their whole life for business and stuff, and people just destroying. And, and the more that it happened, the mob went crazy. And it's just like a, it's almost like a lust when people see that going on, that they just join in. And I, I'm sure that these stonings were vicious. They were vicious. And people, uh, people that, that, that's, how, that's how this culture looked at punishing people. And so in Deuteronomy, here's another good one for you to look at. Deuteronomy 21, verse 18 through 21, it talks about the what to do with a son that's rebellious. And it actually goes to say he's that is gluttonous and drunken. Now, when you go to prodigal, uh, you know, when it talks about the, the prodigal son, when you go look at that word in your concordance, you'll see debauchery, drunkenness, you know, on and on. It's very clear from the scriptures that that's what this prodigal was doing. He went out and he had the time of his life at daddy's expense. And so this community and this crowd, and especially these Pharisees, when, when he came back, guess what was waiting him? Stoning. That's what was on the minds of these Pharisees. And as they're listening to Jesus talk about this, the, this prodigal returning home, trust me, they weren't thinking. Now, Jesus, I believe that you can look at it both ways. Of course, we know that God so loved the world, He gave His Son, and He's calling us to, to that salvation to be a part of that with Him. But I'm telling you, that's not what the Pharisees are saying. As soon as that guy steps into the community, we're going we're gonna to get this thing straightened out uh, for Israel. So there again, their mindset's not our mindset. And the, the, the natural way that you and I look at Scripture a lot of times is how we've been raised culturally. And that's how we look at it. We look at this thing saying, if it was my son, if it was my daughter, I would run out there and I'd hug their neck and, and it would just be such a, a great, great reunion. But it's so much more than that. The Father knows this culture. The, when Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, He knows what they're thinking. He knows what their attitude towards this problem is going to be. And so when He says that this Father, which is doing a very shameful thing in their culture, okay? Fathers don't run. They don't run. That's for the soldiers and the warriors, the younger men. Fathers don't run. And they definitely don't run to embrace a prodigal that has shamed the community and shamed the father. That was outrageous. And so this father, knowing that, and I believe this is what the Pharisees were thinking, this, this prodigal is going to get what's coming to him. And so this father rushes to the prodigal. And our way of thinking is, oh, wow, that's just so exciting. He runs there and he lets the whole community know. No, he's, sa he's saving this son from the stoning. And so as this rebel draws closer to home, you can see this crowd, probably many of them, you know, most of their, these towns weren't huge, and so they probably recognized him. Kind of rewind back to the Old Testament, you know, the battles are going on, and the watchmen are up on the walls and at the gates, and uh, here we go, good time. They're up on the gate, and uh, they say, hey, that looks like a, a Hezael, or whatever his name was. He runs like this guy. He runs like that guy. And so this, this prodigal is going to be heading back to the city. He's not going to slip in unrecognized. Wow. That's Jonah's boy. Man, look at him. Man, he looks awful. Remember what he did to his father? Yeah, yeah, get the people. Let's go. It's time to, to stone this guy. It's time to, 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 to deal with this sin that he sinned. 
And kind of in your mind there again, think where we started from. The Pharisees are who's Jesus pointing the finger at. And they know. They're the ones running down there with the stones getting the community together to pummel this guy to make him pay. And just about the time that, that this father gets to him, the stones begin to fly. And that father covers the son and bears the stones. Because the stone has got to be done. The law has got to be upheld. That's all through the Gospels you see that with the Pharisees. The law has got to be upheld. We're not, we're not doing this thing. And so you just think about that. Isaiah 50 verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from the shame and the spitting. This father ran to the prodigal, not to just say, hey, it's great to have you home, let's go have a party. He knew that if he didn't get to that son first, that this mob would with the stones and they would kill the son. I'm telling you, that's not the way we look at it, but I guarantee you that's the way the Pharisees were looking at this. Hebrews chapter 12, if you look at chapter, uh, or verse 2, the latter part, and then verse 3, for the joy that was set before him to save the lost, to glorify the Father, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus Christ knew in order to save us, he had to bear the reproach of the cross. He had to bear the shame. All of the, all of the foul things set up, all of the blows, he had to deal with it all. And you want to talk, some, talk about something that, that really just blew the Pharisees' mind was that concept. That was so foreign to them that somehow this father would do this, this act. And even with Jesus when he came and did what he did, he was acting so out of character with the God that they thought they knew. But they really didn't know God the way that they thought they did. So the father sacrifices himself for the son. He gave his, he gave his life that the son might be spared. And the Pharisees, remember, they knew the word of God. They, they had it on their little boxes on their wrists. They had it on little boxes on their heads. I mean, they quoted it all the time. They stopped in the streets and prayed. They, they read the prophets of the Old Testament. They back and forth. They, they knew this. And so surely, as they saw this in their minds about what Jesus is saying, this, this had to come to their mind. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And here they say, he, he received a sinner. Oh, yes. Praise God he received sinners. And, and even at the cross, they had no idea. They, they spoke sometimes, and even though they meant it mockingly, they didn't realize how much truth was in what they were saying. They look on him on the cross... And they say, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Do you realize that that's what Jesus is saying in this story of the prodigal? If I'm going to save this prodigal, I can't save myself. If I'm going to, if I'm going to, to save him, I've got to bear the punishment that he deserves. And what a glorious picture of the cross and of salvation for you and me that Christ did that. Every single blow that was due you and me, Jesus Christ took on himself. Every sin that we've ever sinned, he took it out of the way, nailed it to the cross. Praise God. Praise God for that. And that's what he was trying to get this uh, to, to the Pharisees to understand. Uh, the clear message to the Pharisees was this. If you really want to honor God, the Father, deny yourself, 
take up your cross, forsake your way, and follow me. Quit turning your back on the lost and go reach the lost. Reach out to these. You say, what, what, what would really have happened if the Pharisees really did this? Well, I think we see. Paul talks about that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and God changed his life. He forsook it all. He took up his cross. He followed God. And you and I are able to worship God and be in a church here, largely to this apostle taking the gospel to the Gentile nations. And that's what God, that's what God wanted to do with these Pharisees. But they just didn't get it. And so all of this, I, I hope it's been helpful tonight. I hope you see the, the, the parable of the prodigal son in a different light than maybe you have. In the past, I hope you see that the, the, really the elder son is a bigger player than the prodigal in the, in the whole scheme of chapter 15. But really, Pastor Kenny does this, and I think it's important for us to really consider for us, how do we, how do we think about people like that? Now I know we have a responsibility, and God's called us to train up our children the way we should go, and we've got to, we've got to protect our children. But when I first got saved, of course, the life that I came from, God very quickly gave me a burden for people that were in the same mess I was. I began to do that bus ministry, like say, about a, a year after I got saved. And I began, to, we were in Jacksonville, North Carolina, down there in Marine Corps Base, uh, New River Air Station. And, and uh, that, I mean, in those military towns, there's, there's trailer parks galore. We had one of those old uh, school buses, you know, with the round back. I think it had about 11 seats on each side. And um, I started knocking doors and, and inviting people to church. I would go into these houses I mean, there was a couple of the houses you'd go in there, and the husband or the, or the man or the woman of the house, there was a new person in there every week, the opposite sex. Beer cans everywhere, lives a mess. Kids just, you know, you, they would come out for the school bus, so dirty, so filthy, so, it was just awful. But I got those kids on those bus, and they were so excited to come to church and learn junior church. And, and you know, years later after we left that church, you know, we'd run into the, the supermarket or something. They'd come up, oh, hey. They were so excited to see you, and my heart just broke. I remember one guy, Tony. Tony had a real problem with alcohol. And uh, I, his kids came to church, and sometimes I could get him there, and, you know, he just, he was always, he'd call me 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. Hey, Carrie, I need a ride, man. I said, where are you at? I don't know. I'm in this ditch somewhere. I'd go pick him up, take him back home, pray with him, say, Tony, I love you, man. Will you come to church tomorrow? And he'd come to the little pageants for his kids and stuff. I don't know what ever happened to Tony. I don't know if he got saved. But I know one thing, God took the gospel in my life and caused me to reach out to that which was lame and main and blind. And we as a church, sometimes if we're not careful as people, we'll drive right by the, the bad neighborhoods. We'll have the neighbor that's eh, just a little wild, a little crazy, and we'll just, you know, we'll invite our neighbor over here that's got the nice house and the things going on. If we're not careful, we might find ourselves acting just like the Pharisees. We're God's people. You know, we're God's chosen, but, uh, you know, those people over there, I really don't think there's any hope for them. But there is hope for them, because Jesus Christ is the one who gives hope. And he's not, he, there is a day of judgment coming, we know that, but it's not today. Today is the day of salvation, and so it's our responsibility to do what we can to pray and to reach people with this wonderful gospel that Jesus does save sinners. Amen.